across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have reached the end, ladies and gentlemen, of yet another uh, amazing week in the unpredictable world of coronavirus land where nothing is as it seems, where nothing actually means what it says and where, with every step forward, we appear to be taking a couple of steps back. This morning, we awoke to the news that France has now been added to the list of countries on the naughty list and from which you must now quarantine for two weeks after going on holiday there. Unfortunately, for half a million Brits, there is now a mad scramble to get back across the channel before the the deadline of 4am tomorrow morning. Of course, there's no such restrictions on those coming here illegally on migrant boats funded by organised crime. They'll be fine. Don't worry about that. No quarantine, no COVID testing, just a warm welcome, a coach trip to a four-star hotel and three square meals a day for the rest of time. Marvellous, isn't it? Absolutely fantastic. First up this morning, we're talking to former Tory MP Stuart Jackson, uh, who's the former chair also of the all-party Albania group, and he's going to be telling us about how many so-called asylum seekers from that part of the world end up working in the lucrative drug trade in this country. Uh, you know what to do. The number, of course, to call is this, 0344 499 1000. Coming up a little bit later on, Georgie Frost joins us live from Spain with the latest news on the holiday front, what your rights are if you've had to cut your holiday short in France, and whether you can cancel your plans to go there at the last minute. And we'll be taking a look at the further easing of the lockdown this weekend with Alex Phillips, former Brexit Party MEP. Prime Minister Boris Johnson says he wants people to get back to more of the things they have missed. So it's weddings, casinos and bowling alleys all over again. Plus you can go and get a spa treatment as well if you want. But you can't really go on holiday, can you? No, there's lots of things you still can't really do. And also, uh, cheeky idiotic uh, sort of statement of the week has to go to Sadiq Khan who decided to wander about in London yesterday and say the government needs to do more to bring London back. This is the same guy that put the congestion charge back on, the same guy that put the congestion charge up to 15 quid and the same guy that then extended the congestion charge not only to the weekends but to 10 o'clock at night as well. He's killing the taxi trade, he's killing the restaurant business, he's killing London and now he's blaming Boris Johnson. What a plank. 0344 499 1000. Also it's Friday so it's time for another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards in the company of Martin Malagon. It's an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting and we're joined by wine expert extraordinaire Helena Nicholas as well. It's all happening. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, we've been giving you some information over the course of this week because we managed to extract quite a lot of very good information out of the Home Office up to March of 2020. We are still awaiting uh, the most recent figures of uh, illegal migrants coming into this country. But all week, we've been watching uh, uh, video footage of various boats, dinghies, uh, dirigibles of all sorts arriving on the shores of this country uh, with border force um, acknowledgement and with uh, the ability for all of these people to land here uh, and find their way to hotels where they're going to be put up uh, at our expense by Serco. So um, now that we know all of that, we're trying to figure out what the government is going to do about it. And as we collect more information, we get more and more uh, interesting developments. And one of the developments that we discovered over the course of the last few days was that one of the big countries where people are coming from is Albania. And Albania, according to the figures that I've got here, uh, is a place where something like 3,467 migrants came from uh, up to the the year-ending 
March 2020, which is an increase on the 2,478 that came here uh, in the year ending March 2019. Uh, now, we're going to talk to Stuart Jackson, former Tory MP, of course, former special advisor to David Davis, also um, a former chair uh, of the uh, Albania Committee in the House of Commons. Let's find out from him what he can tell us about some of these Albanian asylum seekers. Stuart, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, I've been told by by sort of people I know in the, in the law enforcement community in the past that there's a big problem uh, with the Albanian community and drug running and the fact that there's a lot of Albanian drug gangs which run the cocaine business basically in this country. Uh, what can you tell us? Well, I think the question has to be why people from Albania, which is a very small country uh, adjacent to Greece, are traveling over half a dozen or more countries to come to the UK and claim political asylum. Mm. Now, Albania is a very poor country. Uh, it's, it's what you would call a second world country, but nevertheless, it's not quite a failed state. There is endemic corruption there. It's, it's very poor by European standards, but one wonders why uh, young men uh, deem it necessary to come here. And I think we need to look, when we're admitting people on the basis that they are seeking asylum, at their potential criminality of different groups. And I think you're quite right that anecdotally, and I think factually, certainly the Metropolitan Police will tell you that some of the most, most ruthless uh, uh, criminals involved in drug running in the UK, including county lines, are in fact Albanians. And one has to ask how they got here, whether they sought asylum or whether they sought indefinite leave to remain through the proper processes. But in any event, we should not routinely being, uh, be in a position of admitting people as asylum seekers from such a small country without first checking uh, you know, what they will be doing uh, in the period before their asylum application is is decided. Yes. And this goes to the heart of the matter, really, Stuart, doesn't it? Because one of the problems we have uh, is that with these people coming here uh, without, in some cases, identification, uh, without, in some cases, any kind of reference point so that we can check who they are, whether they are who they say they are, I'm not even sure we can do that. Um, and while they are indeed applying for asylum, they're technically speaking not supposed to be working. So they can't do legitimate work. So you can only assume they'll do illegitimate work. Well, yes, because they don't appear to be the resources available in order to monitor the, the huge numbers we're talking about, scores, if not hundreds of thousands of people who mm. are in the asylum system. Right. Uh, once they are released from short-term accommodation to local authorities, and you talked about a disproportionate number yesterday being placed uh, in the East Midlands, for instance, yeah. then there isn't a practical way for law enforcement to monitor them. They're not under the probation service. The police are too stretched. Adult social care, it's not their area. And I think we need to ensure, as you've alluded to this week, that at the point of entry, they receive a proper health check. They get a COVID uh, health check. Uh, they also explain on what basis their um, asylum claim has been made from a country, for instance, like Albania, which is in a different league to, say, Somalia or Libya, where there is 
a civil war and there is no civil society and, and society is effectively broken down. Albania is not in that position. No. These but we keep hearing, though, are, Stuart, that all these people coming are desperate people coming, fleeing wars, you know, fleeing famines. That's not the case here, is it? No, and it, it strikes to the heart of a central hypocrisy of so many of the EU countries. They signed up to the Dublin Protocol, which does specifically say that you will be adjudicated as to the bona fides of your asylum application in the first safe country into which you arrive, which for many people will be Italy, Greece, perhaps Germany, certainly France. So the idea that people from Albania, which is a thousand miles away, have travelled through all these countries and are then seeking uh, uh, any cost to get into the UK, Mm. I don't think stacks up. And I, I do think that we need to ensure that our friends and partners in the former, our former uh, members uh, of the EU do actually abide by the Dublin Protocol because otherwise the whole system breaks down. Exactly right. And the other problem that I can't seem to find an absolute answer from the Home Office for uh, is exactly what does happen, for example, once these hotels are emptied and once these asylum seekers who are still uh, uh, seeking asylum um, are no longer being put up by Serco because Serco can't tell us exactly when they're going to be letting them out into the community uh, because they don't know. They say we operate under the Home Office guidelines and Home Office kind of, you know, uh, advice. So... As and when COVID passes, I suppose, whenever that is going to be, they will be presumably taken out of those hotels and housed in uh, independent sort of residences in various parts of the country. Yes, exactly. And the fact is, we know that they will go into the informal or the black economy. Uh, They will work without paying taxes. Uh, You know, perhaps they will do jobs other people won't do. But it, it, it does... It does make me laugh when people like Nick Thomas Simmons, the Labour shadows at Home Secretary, talk about a lack of compassion. Oh, yeah. Because as you rightly said yesterday, there is nothing uh, compassionate about acquiescing to the vicious, violent people traffickers who put these people's lives in danger. And there's nothing compassionate about facilitating further drug trade, further county lines affecting young people across the country. You know, this is Labour's problem. This, this politically correct virtue signalling does not do any good at all. It's complaining about a problem, but a failure to put any pragmatic or practical policies as an alternative in its place. It's, it's nothing to do with compassion. It's about the first duty of any government, which is to protect its own people. Exactly right. And given now that we've got a quarantine in effect from four o'clock tomorrow morning on people coming back from France who have been on holiday there, I mean, I'm hoping, but not really expecting, that we shall put these uh, these people that are arriving on, on illegal dinghies in quarantine for two weeks as well. well I mean, well, you know, otherwise, what's the point? I mean, if I was on holiday in France, I'd just come back in a dinghy. Well, I, I do think a, a very interesting point was made by, I think, one of Julia Hartley Brewer's guests last mm. week, a, a former senior naval officer, that uh, it's not impossible to follow the example of the Australian stop the boats campaign. There are now, uh, there is free capacity on cruise liners uh, to keep people offshore and to have them processed offshore. Mm. The idea that maritime law inevitably means you have to accept everyone that turns up on your shores and you have to have an asylum system that takes years and years. I know from my own experience that 
a lot of people who play by the rules and do the right thing and have the right paperwork are put through purgatory by the immigration system. Yeah. Whereas those that have sought right from the beginning to avoid the legal system and to come in as illegal immigrants are so often favoured. And I think it's a basic issue of fairness. And I think more power to Pretty Patel's elbow as the Home Secretary. This system absolutely has to change. We need new legislation. We need a tough but fair approach to protect the best interests of the British taxpayer. Absolutely right, because we also hear uh, from the virtue signalling crowd that basically, you know, we're, we're dealing with such a small number of people, uh, you know, it's negligible on the on the population. But given the Home Office statistics that I'm looking at, Stuart, that we got this week, from 2010 until now, you're talking about 400,000 people coming in this way. It's an awful lot of people. Yeah, even, even Gary Lineker couldn't put them up in his mansion, no. I think. But he says he's so going to put many. one. He's going to put one up. So I mean, at least uh, I suppose we should say that we've managed to shame him into doing that. One of your um, uh, colleagues in the Tory party managed to do that. So I take my hat off to Lee Anderson MP. We tried to get him back on today, actually, but he's busy with his with his constituents. He's actually uh, he's an actually proper old fashioned Tory MP. Loves his constituents. Hates virtue signalers. Wants to stop illegal migration. You know, we should get more of these people into the party, shouldn't we? Exactly. You know, most people in the Tory party are not against immigration. No. What they're against is rule breaking and illegal immigration. Yes. And I, th I think that's the key issue. Coming back to France, you know, I do think there's going to be some angst from the French about this. And obviously a lot of people are going to be inconvenienced um, coming back today. Uh, and first of all, I think actually it's appalling the price gouging of some of the uh, transport people, mm. the, you know, the airlines and, uh, and others. It, it's completely wrong to do this, yeah. but, but probably inevitable. But, you know, when France has a, an infection rate now almost twice that of the UK um, uh, and has, uh, you know, areas of, of the country which have seen significant spikes, I think it's right that the government has to act very quickly as it did in Spain to protect our long-term interests in the UK and make sure that we don't see a second spike as a result of people coming back from Europe, uh, places like the Netherlands and France with very high levels of infection now uh, and, and bringing that back to the UK. So I think the government's right, although, of course, people are going to complain and say how incompetent they are, even though they've acted very quickly. Yes, I mean, they can't win the government in this situation. I mean, I've been critical of them about some of the things that they've brought in, but it's difficult um, to imagine how quickly they have to act because I've also been critical of them in the past when they said, right, we're going to start wearing masks for a week on Monday. And I said, well, why don't you just do it now? So, you know, you can't really have it both ways. But it's interesting, isn't it, that these people who used to uh, give the government a hard time for having the worst record and the worst number of infections and the worst number of deaths, you know, they're not saying much about France and the Netherlands at the moment. No, and it's interesting also, I'm sure she's a very nice lady, but the New Zealand Prime Minister was lauded as the expert on uh, uh, COVID-19. Oh, yeah. She's the Nicola Sturgeon of the Southern Hemisphere, Stuart, didn't you know that? Yeah, but basically because she was female, you know, these weird uh, politically correct virtue signals yeah. that said, you know, all the best yes. uh, management of COVID has right. been by women. That's right. And then what do you see? You see a big spike in uh, Germany uh, a few weeks ago and, and now you've seen New Zealand mm. suffering you know it's ridiculous to make party political comments about something that the government is, is doing its very best to deal with and we see that again with the A-level results you know 
Sturgeon did exactly the same in Scotland in terms of the algorithm and the predictions of the grades that this government has done, except that she buckled to pressure a few days ago. But if she thought it was right then um, to do it in the first place, then I suspect that the UK government is right to persevere with this. There will be some perverse results, particularly for talented young people in middling schools. And and I feel for those young people. uh, And I do think the government were a bit late in putting together their appeals process. But generally speaking, there's no other way around this. If 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 young people did not sit exams, you have to find a way yeah, exactly. to, and also, to all filter I'm hearing, those. I'm, I'm not going to be as generous as you are, I'm afraid, Stuart. All I'm hearing is a bunch of teenagers whining and crying and moaning about the way well, it's not fair. It's not fair. Yeah, well, guess what? Life isn't fair. Get used to it. We're in the midst of a pandemic. You know, stop being so self-centred and get on with doing something else if you can't do what you wanted to do. Well, Mike, I'm not quite as hardcore as you. Uh, you know, I was a teenager once, many moons ago. <laughs> but the, the point is, you know, this is, for some of them, this is their, their one and only big shot at something like medicine mm-hmm. or veterinary science or law in, in the universities. And, and, and I think as long as there is an appeal process for the, for the tiny minority of, of young people that will be affected in that way, who expected to get really good grades and have got just very good grades, mm. I think we ought to knock on the head also this canard that this is this loony nonsense that we heard from the National Union of Students, which isn't, isn't a proper union, it's a Mickey Mouse union, frankly, which most students have nothing was. to do with, that it's all about class and it's about race. Yeah, it's That's nonsense. Yeah. The, the education expert Sam Friedman showed today in his results uh, analysis that actually children from poorer backgrounds have done slightly better in terms of university places this mm. year. And in fact, more young people are going to university this year. So, yeah, it's not a perfect system, far from it, but it's not quite the, you know, uh, conspiracy that no. people who are hostile to everything the government does uh, are making out. No, quite. Stuart, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Stuart Jackson, former Conservative MP, former Special Advisor to David Davis, of course, as well. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk now to our favourite uh, weather person, Claire Nazir, meteorologist of Channel 5, author of What Does Rain Smell Like? Last time we spoke to Claire, she was on a boat in Wales. Let's see where she is today. Claire, very good uh, morning to you. Where are you? Good morning, Mike. Yes, I'm on a boat in Wales. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's another boat in Wales. It's another, yes. We are in Pefeli today, um, just in the marina, about 10 miles from the highest temperature recorded yesterday. In Port Maddock, 29.5 nice. degrees Celsius. So, yes, it's lovely. We haven't seen any thunderstorms today. We saw some really violent ones yesterday. Yeah, isn't that up near where they filmed The Prisoner, Port Maddock? That's right, yeah, Port Marion. Yes, Port that's Marion, yeah. exactly right. Yes, and they have an amazing festival there called Festival Number no. 5, which I've been to, and it's I incredible. I love that show. I thought, I thought it was fantastic. Now, I was very alarmed when I saw the flooding on the M25 yesterday, uh, where there was loads and loads of cars underwater. Gatwick was pretty much unreachable. Um, very, very violent storms. I mean, it, I presume, and we're also being told that that terrible uh, train crash up in uh, near Aberdeen may also have been caused by an awful lot of heavy rain. Mm. Yes, we've seen some really violent uh, conditions across the UK, uh, certainly pushing up from the south. And the reason why... It's, ha- it's happening across Europe as well. Geneva's on a level three thunderstorm watch at the moment, which is the second highest level 
the air is primed with heat and humidity and the air is also very very unstable so all these ingredients are coming together for pretty much the perfect sport storm which is pushing up from the south and even in the north where we haven't seen the higher temperatures across scotland this air which is so oppressive across more southern parts is moving its way northwards and becoming more trapped within the middle part of the atmosphere and that's enough to trigger off these storms yeah. so pretty much wherever we are we've seen them over the last few days and i'm reading this morning that we expect them to continue through the weekend maybe till monday or tuesday yes it's been an exceptional spell of very hot weather temperatures in excess of 35 30 degrees celsius for seven days and that heat continues. And when we do have that heat, it is fuel for thunderstorms. Uh, the warning today is across central and southern parts of the UK, but it could extend northwards over the next few days. And we hang on to the heat, temperatures probably in the high 20s until next week. And I think it's probably Wednesday where we'll see a proper breakdown to near normal temperatures rather than temperatures well above average. Right. And, and I mean, in terms of the flash flooding, it seems yeah. that an awful lot of rain falls all at once. Is there a particular kind of pattern to that? Because Is it just the heat? That's a good question. The reason why we're seeing intense rain falling in such a, a small area for a long time is because there's no strong winds pushing these thunderstorms across the country quickly. So if you catch one, you catch it for quite a while. In fact, that's what we're seeing right at this moment across the Severn Estuary. We're seeing some intense thunderstorms anywhere from Cardiff to Bristol down towards Somerset. And they're not moving very fast. Another batch just the north of the M4 and some more coming in across East Anglia. And the reason why we're seeing this is because, yes, the winds are fairly light. And with light winds, we don't get that forcing which pushes the thunderstorms um, across many miles. Right. Uh, and that will be the case for the rest of the day. Well, that must explain it, yeah, because yesterday I was sort of sitting around waiting with some um, enthusiasm for a massive rainstorm to come my way. And it sort of never came. You know, it tried to rain a little bit, but it seemed to all fall on that one section of the M25, which was then underwater. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to forecast thunderstorms. I know at the Met Office they have dedicated they, what they call deep convection forecasters at this time of the year, just trying to analyse the local uh, conditions. And it's almost like a pan of boiling water. You know the water is boiling. You know the temperature is, is around 100 degrees Celsius. But where are those bubbles going to react and come up to the surface? That's the thing with thunderstorms. It's pretty much that sort of mechanism. Yeah, absolutely right. And a lot of uh, very spectacular pictures that I've seen over the last few days, quite a lot of fault lightning. I know we've spoken about this before. Um, but um, is it going to be quite spectacular to see, do you think, any of this stuff? Yes, it is. I mean, at the moment, we're seeing a lot of lightning towards the west. And interestingly enough, the, the, the frequent lightning we've seen over the last few days, some of it hasn't been associated with heavy rain. And the reason why the air is quite dry below it, so you get all the frequent lightning, you don't hear much thunder, but it makes for amazing displays. And it still can be very risky. So I think over the next few days, it will be the torrential rain we'll see and some gusty winds which go up and down within the cumulonimbus clouds. And yes, the risk of some localised flooding and that, those warnings, as I said, extend out for the next few days. The air remains very hot. OK. And what are you off to do today, Claire? Because uh, you're having a lot of fun up there in uh, Wales, it seems to be. What's going on? I've been on my um, holiday for two weeks here in Wales. It's been amazing. I'm with my family they're with us today and they're just going to hang out with me we're going to just uh, we saw some dolphins last time we were on the boat really? and i think we'll see them yeah and some seals as well and it's just really nice to be away from the shoreline really just in our bubble you know? yes well also good to be away from uh, anywhere in europe like france where you'd have to quarantine if you came back yes a good friend of mine's had to well, she arrived i think two days ago and now she's on her way back after 
what she hoped would be a two-week holiday for the same reason. And that's the reason why we haven't got away this year is that we can't risk being quarantined anywhere. We've got to get back to work on Monday. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, Claire, enjoy the weekend. Thank you very much indeed Thanks. for spending some time with us. Um, Claire Nazir, the meteorologist at Channel 5, author of What Does Rain Smell Like? And probably the only guest that we've only interviewed um, twice in a row on a boat, but a different boat. Quite remarkable. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Very good morning um, over in sunny Spain to Georgie Frost. Georgie, very good morning to you. A very good morning to you. So, um, now the French are in the same boat, as it were, um, as people who went on holiday to Spain. I've, I've heard stories this morning of people who had already lost money by uh, booking a holiday in Spain, which they then cancelled because they didn't want to quarantine, have then bought another holiday in France and are now in the <laughs> same boat. Yeah, I've got to feel sorry for some people who are in this situation. As you know, uh, quite famously, I am sort of in this situation, although I don't really feel sorry for myself. I was caught out in Spain. Yeah. Um, I arrived on the 21st and the government decided to change the rules on the 25th. They gave us just five hours. Um, at least I suppose they've given people in France 30 hours, but I'm not sure that that's much cause for comfort when you talk about what you've just been mentioning there. It's almost impossible to get to get back everything is booked up it is really difficult and it's you've got to throw in it's not just those people who who can't can't go to work if they if they aren't able to work from home it's also school children as well who've already been heavily disrupted as a result of coronavirus you have to think very clearly or very carefully if you are planning to go away to somewhere like france or spain or anywhere anywhere at all because this can happen anywhere Mm. if you have children in terms of, uh, of going to school and I, I feel desperately sorry for, for anybody who's in this situation who cannot work from home or who's got children who need to go back to school because you know, employers are well within their rights if you come back and you, you self-isolate and you don't have symptoms if you have symptoms you can claim statutory sick pay however if you don't uh, then you have to rely on the good nature of your boss or perhaps you can take holidays but they don't actually have to pay you so if you can't work he could be in a very difficult situation. Absolutely. And for people coming back from Spain, they were having to fill out a form online, uh, which they sometimes would be asked for uh, at uh, Customs and Immigration when they came back to the UK, sometimes not. Presumably those people who are now on holiday in France will have to do the same and fill out a form. How, how will they know whether or not they have to do that? Yes, well, when you arrive to the UK, you will have to complete a passenger locator form, exactly as you're talking about. Uh, everybody who arrives back from these countries will have to do that, giving your passport information and your details about where and when you've travelled. If you don't do this, you could be liable for a £100 fine. Uh, so all travellers coming in from countries, including myself, when I do eventually arrive back, uh, will have to do this. We have to do our 14-day self-isolation. It's actually really 15 days because it starts the day after you arrive to allow you to get to the place of where you need to go. So if you need to get uh, even public transport, you are able to do so, although they don't recommend you doing so, of no. course. And then you have to self-isolate for 14 days. And that means staying at home, not leaving it. If you do, you face a fine of £1,000. That's £480 in Scotland, £1,000 elsewhere. Repeat offenders, that should go up to 5000 Now, I was in a bar last night. It sounds terrible being stuck here in Spain, doesn't it? Uh, and there were a couple of British tourists. I have to say I was rather surprised because I'm not in a very touristy area. Right. Uh, certainly not a lot of Brits here. Who, and I said to them, like, why are you here? I mean, how are you here? Because the SBO, very similar to France, said all but essential travel. And they just went, meh, meh. And I said, well, you're not worried about quarantining when you be- get back? And they said, no, not really. 
Oh, goodness me, I think that's probably the attitude of a lot of people. Given the fact that one in five eligible passengers will be called or texted to check whether they're following the rules. Look, I don't know, and I certainly wouldn't recommend anyone break these rules. I don't plan to when I get back. But it does seem to me that that is probably not going to encourage a lot of people uh, to... If you are stuck and you are in a situation where there's nothing you can do, obviously a lot of people are trying to get back at the moment, but to follow these rules, it it does seem extraordinary. Well, that's the thing. And I mean, we haven't heard from anyone, I don't think, this week. And last week we were asking for people to get in touch as well, who've actually had any contact with anyone. Most of the people who came back from Spain straight after the quarantine was imposed, said that at the at the various border crossings where they came in, whether it was an airport or whether it was a, a, a um, you know a boating situation, nobody was actually looking at the form in any great detail. They they might ask you to show the phone with the form on it, but that was they just kind of gave it a very statutory kind of very quick glance. And um and, and as far as the phone calls go, most people I think if if they see the phone ringing with a number they don't recognise, don't bother answering it. And so apparently yeah. there's been a problem with the whole track and trace scheme because they're not getting through to people well this is the problem and this is the the criticism with with the government measure i mean after the horses bolted was the first thought that came to my mind when all of this started coming in um however it's look it's very difficult i don't want to criticize these decisions but i would like to know a little bit more about where it's coming from i do think that a lot of people are put in a very difficult situation i've spoken there about work but what about those people who spent money planning on going on holiday you've spoken there about those who were thinking of going to spain uh, but instead they went to france and they're in the same situation there i it seems uh they're using an extreme measure, a hammer to crack enough, I think, in, in some in some regards here. Yeah. Track and trace needs to be more sophisticated. They need to cut down the amount of time in quarantine. It does seem that I would rather the government do things like that than what is essentially a very, very broad brushstroke that's going to impact many, many people. You spoke there about half a million people who are in France, those people who were affected by Spain. Uh, the tourism industry generally, we're seeing thousands and thousands of job losses there. I hope they're getting this right, is what I'll say. I really hope they're making the right call with this. But I do expect this will continue. As to whether they're going to be very vigilant, you would imagine with more countries added to the list, Netherlands as well, uh, Belgium as well, uh, then I would expect uh, a more sophisticated track and trace, perhaps a more vigilant one. But you've got to ask the question, do they have the resources to do that as well? Yeah, because we're dealing with at least a million people now from Spain and France yeah. put together. And that's an awful lot of people to keep a track of. And the other thing, I suppose, is the problem is that the government will say, well, the reason we're doing it is because we have got the rates down pretty low here and we have got um, the spread of the virus down to a pretty a very low level. So we don't want loads of people coming back from countries where they've got a higher rate of infection, bringing it back. But they're never going to really be able to know for sure whether those infection rates are going up simply because more people are being tested uh, or whether it's because there's actually more people falling ill. You know, my, my, my sense is that it's more about testing than it is about people being ill. Yeah. My sense as well, which it's very difficult because I'm here in Spain and there's a lot of a blame game. I, I even got doctor in the street uh, and someone had a go at young Brits coming here and bringing over coronavirus. I rather like the young, I'll take that, but yep. uh, I wasn't quite quite as sure about the idea. I was wearing a mask as well, so I'm not really sure the point. Um, but the, the issue in Spain is, if you, I've said this before, if you believe in social distancing, if you believe in masks, well, this should be the safest place to be because everybody wears a mask in the street. I mean, it's absolutely horrible. Yeah. It's heat. 
you do wear it. And there are many police prowling around. It's a very different environment to how it was back at home in Britain. Mm. So the, the sense of sort of fear is palpable and not just among older people, among younger people as well. So you would expect this to be a country where it is very safe. My thinking being that perhaps in the past, a lot of the testing was done in hospitals. Now it's not. Perhaps it's a bit more sophisticated, more people being tested. They're saying that the biggest rise is in young people, and that's not really a surprise because I imagine they, they're the ones who are not so affected by this. So the death rates, and it's awful to talk about these sorts of things, don't see, appear to be going up. However, those people infected or those testing do. And we're making decisions now, and this is above my, my pay grade, but we're making decisions now uh, based on countries' data. And you know, to me, it just seems a rather unsophisticated way of doing it because surely we want countries to test more. And if they, they're not going, I mean, my instinct would be they would not be telling official figures if they're going to be so badly affected mm. um, by by these restrictions. I mean, just take Spain as a great example. I'm not suggesting they're massaging their figures at all. But this is a country heavily reliant on British tourism, heavily reliant on tourism anyway. 13% of their GDP comes from tourism and we are their biggest market. Yeah. You know, you've got to think that they will start to wonder whether these sorts of figures or these sorts of testing is, is, is such a good idea if they're going to be so heavily affected by it. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? And as you say, I mean, I know when, when the figures started to go up again in Spain, people were like, well, hang on a minute, these people have been wearing masks for quite a long time, and yet the mm. infection rate has gone up. So what does that tell you? Does it tell you that the masking actually doesn't really work? I've also got the the problem of, I'm, I'm with you on testing more people, but it depends what you do with the results, because if you test more people who are uh, 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 positive and, and have the coronavirus but are not ill, then that doesn't mean you have to surely lock anything down because if if they're not getting ill, then then it's it's not a problem. Well, I suppose the problem is if you pass it on um, to to other yeah, people, but that's always, but that's, people, vulnerable people. But that's always going to be the case. I mean, I think we're just going to have to get used to that, and we're just going to have to deal with it in a different way. And I think the government is going to have to find a way, and all governments are going to have to find a way of living with it rather than hiding from it. I look. I have my own views on this. My my. My concern right now is those people particularly affected, uh, obviously, health-wise first, but financially, those people in France, those people in Spain, those people who've booked holidays, those people who will lose out a lot of money, who can't work, who can't go to school, those sorts of things. I would have liked to have seen perhaps a more well-thought-out government policy before this was introduced. They did make it clear that this could be a possibility when they allowed, the, well, the SCO said you could travel back at the start of the month or July, when they changed the rules and said people could travel, they did make mm. it clear that that the quarantine could be imposed. However, I'm not sure that people expected this sort of short-term notice. What I would have liked to have seen is absolute guarantee that if you have to self-isolate, you will get statutory sick pay. I would have liked to have seen that mm. come in, so at least people have some money coming in and they don't have to lie or they don't have to break the rules. Because the reality is, if you are stuck and you need money you can't afford not to work for two weeks what you're doing is you're forcing people to make very very tough decisions uh, uh, look anybody who says oh you shouldn't really be going on holiday anyway the advice was that you can and many people don't travel just because they want a jolly and you know what if they do want a jolly fair enough it's been a very very tough mm. few months 
six months for a lot of people. We deserve a bit of a break. And this is just adding more trouble to those people, to individuals and to an industry that really doesn't need it. We do need to find a way of doing this. We need to find a way that doesn't hammer people so badly. We need a bit more warning. We have these figures coming out days, weeks, if not before, certainly with Spain, mm. five hours to tell people you need to get back is not good enough. It should be those people who are booked to come home. You can come home. Anybody else who goes out, fresh travel, those people will be impacted. But I cannot believe we've had five hours notice and with France, 30 hours. It seems to me a major reaction. And to be honest, I think the government has done largely very, very well so far. Furlough schemes, all the schemes that they've been introduced, they've been brave and I think they've been the right decision. It seems to me, and I am in here in Spain looking at it from the outside perspective, that they're sort of panicking at the end. And I urge the government not to panic and mm. to keep doing thoughtful, right things and not impacting people who are now finding themselves in a very difficult situation. No, of course. A final insurance question for you, if you can answer this. If you buy holiday insurance at a time when you're allowed to go to a country like France, when it wasn't in um, a quarantine situation, does that insurance become invalid if the government then says it's only for essential travel now, or can you somehow claim on it? Uh, no, if the foreign officer advises against travel to a country, as is the case for France, for Spain, uh, then you can get a refund for your whole holiday, or you can rearrange, you should be able to travel insurance. If you travel when the government has said, or the SCO has said that you shouldn't travel, then you invalidate your travel insurance. Right. Okay. Well, Georgie, listen, thanks very much indeed for sparing the time to talk to us. I know you're working your way down there uh, in southern Spain, and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Georgie Frost, personal finance specialist there, uh, with some good advice for everybody. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.46, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Looking very animated today. There's a lot of lot of action going on behind the glass there as well. Welcome. I'm just waiting for the music to fade down. Sorry, a little did I get a bit early? I'm in a bit no, early. Didn't no, no, no. I think it's because we've got a different tech hop today. Yes. Uh, you know, the level of incompetence is not the same as a. Uh, it's as it not actually. Is. No, I was going to say there hasn't been any today. No, no. Which is nice. Yeah. Makes Ma- a change. Yeah, Mark Gale is off. Have a great day, Mark. <laughs> hope, you, hope you're well. <laughs> yes. He's gone away, I think. He's gone away to, uh, I want to say Staycation. Oh. Somewhere, oh. No, somewhere else. Somewhere I'm not going to say in case people track him. You know what? It, it could well be somewhere else. I just feel like everyone's going to Cornwall these days, don't you think? Yes, that's why the Cornish keep sending them all back. Yeah. They don't like it. Oh, dear. No. It would be awkward. It would be. Anyway, good yes. afternoon. And welcome. Thank you so very the much. the Period Awards, yes. this is where we look back over the past week of the so-called so Independent cold. Republic of My Graham on yes. Talk Radio and choose our favourite moments. Tradition says the first berry goes to you. Thank you. And this is becoming a new classic and one of my favourites. It's the, oops, Mike forgets how to speak again. <laughs> great stuff, Nigel. Thank you very much indeed. I'll see you soon. Nigel Shah, Head of Communications at Borough Market. One of the greatest food out, 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 outlets, I should say. <laughs> out. It's a difficult one. Isn't it, it is difficult, yes. Food well, outlets. you know, once in a while, my mouth does sort of freeze up, seize up, even. It's like you're buffering, you know, like a yes. YouTube video. Like well, everybody else does, so <laughs> I figure I might as well do it behind the microphone. That is very kind of you. Not we at appreciate all. Appreciate that. Uh, travel journalist Lisa Francescanand uh, joined us live from Spain earlier in the week, and she provided the surprise dog of the week. 
it is encouraging, yes. But, um, I mean, of course, we're waiting for a, an announcement regarding a quarantine being implemented um, with France. Um, and, um, but yeah, I will, like, like many families... There was a dog. I don't know whose dog it was. It was a Spanish dog. Can you not tell? I couldn't tell. It's barking in Spanish. Is it? Well, yes. See. Sí. You sure it wasn't Catalan? No, I no, I can tell. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's actually got an Andalusian accent. I see. Yeah, I oh, can't good. really make out what the dog is saying, but no. I can I can make out as as much. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a good dog though. Yeah, it was well a done. great dog. Uh, keep them coming, guys. Um, Steve Brace from the Royal Geographical Society mm. came on the show to tell us more about how maps are made and drawn, and he provided the surprise cough of the week. That have the capes and bays of what would be uh, Arctic Canada and Alaska <coughs> and Greenland, excuse me. <laughs> That's it's, a great one. It's so silly though because you know these they keep happening. I know they keep happening, but you know. I just, I just can't but, help you know, myself. When, you, when you've got a cough, you've got a cough. You've it's as simple cough. as that, yeah. really. Yeah. Mm. Do you have a cough on air? Yeah, you do. I do you? sometimes, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, sometimes something catches sometimes mm. or, you know, it's a little a tickle at the back of my yeah. throat. Yeah. But, of course, every time anybody coughs now, you immediately assume you've got coronavirus. Yes, well, which... Which, which no. we haven't got. No, because no. it's not a new persistent cough. No, that's it's good. It's a, a one-off cough. Exactly, one-off anyway, cough, yeah. Another one for you, Mike. Congratulations. Yes. Thank this you. time you win a Perry for being the friendliest person we've had on the show this week. I don't want people knocking at my door, telling me stuff. <laughs> no, thanks. I like to see. I like to be left alone. <laughs> I don't wish to answer the door. I don't wish to have unannounced visitors. It might sound a little bit Victorian, but that's the way it is, and that's the way it goes. And if the phone rings and I don't know who's calling me, I don't answer it either. <laughs> and if you don't leave a message, I'll never know who you are, and I'll never call you back. Just telling you, in case you need to know. It's true. Well, it is true. Very so much friendly. for the track and trace scenario. Yes, yes. But um, I think a lot of people are like that. Oh, I am like that. I mean, that. I know people who say the same. They don't don't answer the door unless they're expecting a delivery of some kind. Yeah. Just don't bother. I never do that. That's how I, my, my mum raised me. Yeah. She was like, if you're not expecting anyone, don't go to the door. Right. It could be someone trying to kill you. Well, I mean, that's extreme. possibly a bit over over the top. Yeah, but, my mum uh, was a bit extreme it's, Yeah, But it's good to be protective of your children. No, exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've noticed, um, um, but it's been quite hot. This week. It's been very hot this week. I've, I've heard reports that you had to go and sit in the car. I did sit in one night. I night. did, yeah. Two o'clock in the morning in you the car. with the air conditioning it. on. <laughs> I, I may have mentioned it a couple of times. <laughs> anyway, we've been talking about the weather a lot on the show this week. Yesterday, we spoke to Jim Dale from British Weather Services, and there was someone in the background who was actually friendly. It's one of those things. It's, it's big style in the United, in, in the United States. <laughs> I heard that, guy. I was expecting to see somebody walking in front me of the too, camera. Me too, me too. But, you know, it's like, because he was in the middle of a field. We should explain this yes. if people didn't watch it. Mm. So he was in the middle of a field in the middle of Buckinghamshire, I think it was. Do you think he was holding his phone or do you think he was... Um, I think he was with someone with tripod. else. But, but, oh, oh, it could have been a tripod. A I tripod, thought of that. Yeah. I don't think he was holding it because, you know, it looked very steady. It did look like it was steady, yeah. Yeah. So maybe there was um, somebody else. But, there. you know, it's what they do in the countryside. Like, you bump into someone and you just say morning. They say hello to you, yeah. So, you it's know. quite unsettling if you're from London. Yes, you yes. Know. But it is very nice as well. I mm. mean, I, I I can see why you would find it unsettling because, you know, we've just played the clip of you yes. saying, please don't talk to me. Right. But, but also, know. I mean, the thing is, you know, I once stopped uh, going to a news agent in New York yeah. because um, I don't know if I mentioned that I lived there for a while. <laughs> You've lived in New York. And, um, I went in York. one morning to get the papers and the guy said, you're a bit late. Yeah. Oh. And I went. That's creepy. I'm never coming back here yeah. because he's now checking what time I come I to get the papers. Exactly the same thing. So I found another um, news agent. Yeah, good. Yeah. Good. Um, congratulations again. Thank you. You win a pair of reward for being the mathematician of the week. Good. 
I'm just going to do a quick addition while we're here. 22, uh, 47, 57, 67, 75. Uh, we're getting 30. That's 105 up to 2014. 135, 175, 200,000, 260. We're talking about 300,000 asylum seekers basically mm. since 2010. I could have just been making all that up. But I, I wasn't. I was actually reading the Home Office figures no, and adding I, them up in my head. I believe you, but I tried to keep up with you, right? I tried to get my phone up and just like keep... <laughs> I just couldn't. I just couldn't. Well, do you know what I did today um, yeah. when I was talking to Stuart Jackson? I actually added them up officially on my calculator. That's good. Which is where I got the right number. So yes. the actual number I, yeah. can, t- I can reveal to you uh, is 345,216... Um, no, 345, 345 million. No, that's wrong. I got that it wrong. wrong. It's 345,000. Yeah. Something like that. Yes. I don't know why it's got so many figures We'll there. try again next week. <laughs> um, anyway. Off to Julia Harley breakfast yep. now. Uh, she spoke to Ryland off of the things on the telly, Ryland. Oh, and yes. he won a parry for the innuendo of the week. I think I, I'm definitely the example of put it, <laughs> that was going to sound quite rude, but yeah, <laughs> pop it in your mouth and just <laughs> nod along, you know. <laughs> that could go so wrong. We do like Ryland. We do He's like Ryland. He's very funny. I had no idea what he was talking about, but Me I think either. out of context, it's even funnier. And uh, from breakfast to drive with yes. Dan Wooten, he spoke to a caller yesterday, uh, Simon in Long Eaton, and mm. he delivered the harsh comment of the week. Uh, everything is pathetic now. Um, as your colleague Mike uh, explained Mike yesterday in his show, yeah. Um, the great oh, Mike Graham. <laughs> um, I won't go that far. <laughs> I thought, cheers. What was his name, this guy? Uh, Simon in Long Simon. Eaton. Thanks, Simon. Yeah. Very kind. Thank you so much to uh, Charlotte Ivers uh, for flagging this up as she very was good. waiting in the studio to go on air. Excellent. And she heard it and messaged me straight away. Yeah. So thank you very much. Very good. Um, columnist and occasional, occasional, occasional. There's always one of them. Occasional. Isn't it? Occasional. I need to learn. Yeah. Uh, talk radio presenter Andrea Walker wins a Perry Award for the compliment of the week. Good afternoon. Mike, I think you're in severe danger of losing your job to Mr. Charisma, who was on the phone there a second ago. I mean, you know. That was the guy from uh, South East Water, wasn't it? pre-recorded guy, who, by the way, they still haven't emailed me back. They still haven't come back. I still haven't heard back from the whole, um, from the pump for transport either. Oh, so right. So we will never know. So we'll never know, basically. So no. if your son, Kevin, uh, who asked the question, mm. uh, is in British waters yeah. uh, at 4am, I would say you can make an argument that you don't have to go into quarantine. I guess so. But I, I mean, know. you know, take, I did ask the take question, your chances, I would say. If they get back to me by the end of the day, um, I'll let you know and we can yes, tweet so it out. Yes, we can tweet it out, yeah. yeah. Uh, here's another classic, the Megan impression of the week. Harry, um, I'm not living in a house unless it has at least 15 bathrooms. That's all. That's it. And space for five cars in the garage. <laughs> they're so green, aren't they? They're so yes, eco-friendly. Yeah, Five-car very... garage. Yes. And 16 bathrooms. Well, presumably they'll be like eco-friendly electric cars and the bathrooms will like sustainable. Presumably, yes. They recycle the water. Of course. I don't know. Yeah. I see from the Daily Mail today that they seem to have bought it from some Russian oligarch who yes. threatened to chop up his wife. Yes. Great stuff, isn't <laughs> well it? Well done, guys. I hope they got a discount for that. Well, I mean, you know, maybe <laughs> it was a rush sale. Uh, I'd be good. checking out the garden if I was them. Ugh. See what's down there. Anyway, and last but not least, because yes. I can see Ian Collins in the corner of my eye. Ah. Um, there's uh, another one for you. You win this pair for the confusion of the week. Radio. Now it's Tuesday. Uh, no, it's not. It's Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> it was Wednesday, uh, dear listener. Well, do you know, I've been infected by my daughter who, uh, for oh. some reason, twice in the last yeah. month has got the date wrong completely. 
and and you know wished me like a happy. Uh, she wished me. I sat down to do the show in the pub on July yeah. the fourth, Saturday. Yeah. I get a message from her. Happy Friday. Oh God. And I'm yeah. like, you know, you're not in a different time zone. It's Saturday. Yes. yes. And she did it again the other day. She thought it was Monday. Well. And it was actually Wednesday. <laughs> So, I mean, I don't know what she's doing. Well, it is Friday today. It's definitely Friday. And um, I should say that's all for the Perry Awards. There'll be more next week. Thank you very much. The Perry Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.